0: Well, this morning we will be in the book of Luke. Thank you. Um, And we'll be looking at Luke 24, verses 50 through 53. It's Luke 24, verses 50 through 53. I'll bring the text up on the screen. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. You can find our passage in the bottom right hand corner of page 885 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. Thus the reading of God's holy Inspired in an errant word, may he richly bless it to his people. Well, we have made it to the end of the book of Luke. We have one final sermon left. Uh, well, we'll go over the whole of the book, uh, but but we've made it. We've <laughs> all right. We've uh, we uh, we've crossed that that finish line, and uh, we have here in this passage the final acts of Jesus as he wraps up his earthly ministry. Now, reading Luke, it would seem that he was not planning a volume 2, although we know that he ended up writing a volume 2 that we call the book of Acts. And Acts 1 essentially expands on what he covers here in these uh, just these few verses at the end of his gospel. And, and, how, and how Luke ends his book here is very important uh, because... Uh, Because we have, uh, because his gospel began with the coming of the Savior, the arrival of the Messiah, and now it ends with the departure of the risen and the resurrected Messiah. And and so there's there's a question here about what is Jesus' attitude toward his disciples, towards his church as he leaves? What is his mindset and his priority? Uh, for the church from which, at least bodily speaking, he has left as he has gone into heaven. And there may be a question arising uh, even today as to how Jesus regards his church. Is Jesus angry with his church? Does Jesus care for his church? Does he truly take notice of a church, like even our little church in in, in Mississippi? Does Does he really take notice of our church? Uh, and and so what and further what are we supposed to be doing most fundamentally as the people of God today and so in these few verses we actually have a lot of answers to those questions and so we need to pay attention and particularly pay attention to two things we need to pay attention first to what Jesus does in these verses and then what Jesus' disciples do in these verses So in verses fifty to fifty one, we we see what Jesus does. What Jesus does. And first, uh, the first thing we notice here is that what Jesus does is he blesses his church. In these verses. Now we are so saturated with the very concept or the or the word blessed, blessed. It's a hashtag on social media. It's a conversational cliche for saying, we're doing well. How are you doing? I'm blessed. right? Now someone can say it in a kind of humble brag kind of way where they're just doing a Christian form of bragging where they're just like, oh, well, let me tell you all the ways that my Lord has blessed me in such a way that it makes me better than you. right? Uh, But there's another way that people can express genuinely the sense of blessedness that they feel and, the, and their sense of gratitude for how, God ha, how good God has been to them. I remember um, every time I would go see uh, Jerry and Patricia and, uh, and go see and ask them how they were doing. And Jerry, every time, would say, Preacher, I am just so blessed beyond anything I deserve. And he and he just genuinely meant it. You knew that he's just looking out over uh, over his life, his you know, just all it. He's just like, I, I don't deserve what I have, and I'm so grateful to the Lord for it. So we hear this word "blessed," but what does it actually mean? And what does it mean for Jesus to bless his disciples as he departs? Well, the word uh, here that's used actually in the Greek has two meanings. um, And and, and the first meaning actually means to speak well of someone. It's where we get the word eulogy from, to eulogize, to speak well of someone. But its other meaning is to call divine favor to be placed upon another person. It was specifically the duty of the priests, and especially the high priest, to bless the people of God. In number six, we have the ironic benediction, where the high priest was instructed to bless the people. And if you've heard it before, you know it's. um, It talks about may God's face look upon you, may His countenance. You know these types of language, and it's interesting that blessings is associated with the positioning of God's face towards a person, Uh, whether or not God's looking at you, basically. And and so, uh, but the idea here, the picture of blessing, is the Lord looking upon His people in order to give them grace and peace. In Numbers chapter six, verse twenty-seven, the Lord summarizes this act as putting His name upon His people in order to bless them. And indeed, this is what Jesus is doing for His disciples as He departs. It was a priestly act to raise up. Your, the, your hands and bless the people. That was what the priest did. And so what is Jesus doing? He is putting his name upon his disciples that they would be blessed. He is putting his name upon his church that the church would be blessed. And one scholar described Jesus' actions here as giving assurance to his disciples of two things. First, that Jesus in doing this and this blessing his, his disciples and thus his church as he departs is promising to be continually active in the lives of his people. And secondly, he is assuring his disciples that he will never forsake them. Indeed, this is exactly in line with what we read in the letters of the New Testament. In Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus, in his ministry, is fulfilling the promises of blessing given to Abraham in the covenant that was made with Abraham, particularly to those who have faith in Jesus and are now subject to the blessings of the covenant, indeed are heirs of the covenant promises by faith. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul declares that in Christ, God the Father has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. And so, what a comfort this must have been for the disciples. Jesus just didn't disappear without a word, but he, in fact, disappeared. He went into heaven as he was blessing them. His final act was one of blessing. Jesus, who had been raised from the dead, departs this earth. But again, we might ask if he's going away, might he change his attitude towards his disciples? Might he change the disposition of his mind towards him or towards us? But we find the answer is no. Because the plain, simple fact of this passage is that if Jesus has blessed his disciples... If Jesus has blessed his church, then his disciples, his church, will be blessed indeed. We also see that Jesus ascends for his church. Luke describes Jesus' ascension as simply parting from them. That's what he says. He parted from them. And, and, and he was being carried up into heaven. Now, indeed, he, he's merely parting. And as we, as we know, parting is such sweet sorrow, as the bard says. But it is not a permanent separation for Christians and for our Lord. For one thing, he is about to send his spirit to truly and permanently establish that indissoluble union that Christ has with his disciples, with his people for the Spirit shall abide in the hearts of his people, communicating his very presence to us. But also, we call, call Jesus' departure, his ascension, only a parting because we, one day we shall see him face to face. And one day, even further, he, he will return. But in, when he comes at that time, he will come in power and judgment to judge the living and the dead. But what does the ascension mean for the disciples? What does the ascension mean for the church and for us today? Well, first, it means that Christ's earthly ministry is done. There is nothing left for Jesus to do in his earthly ministry. As he said upon the cross, his work is finished. This ministry, that was, it was marked by miracles and wonders, but also weakness, sacrifice, Suffering and death, but all capped wonderfully off with this miracle of resurrection. Jesus, in in his earthly ministry, has secured the redemption of his people through his sufferings. But secondly, the, the Jesus uh, his ascension begins the next phase of his work as our mediator and our redeemer. He's not done. He's just moving into phase two. And this is his heavenly phase as the redeemer. And in, in there he now stands not upon the earth, but in heaven as the living intercession for the people of God in the heavenly throne room. He rules and governs his church from there. And this phase of Jesus' ministry is very different from his earthly one that was marked by weakness and suffering and affliction and death. And now now his, his ministry in heaven is marked by authority, prominence, and power. Third. Christ's ascension is unmistakably and undeniably for our sake, for the sake of the church. By ascending into heaven, Jesus secures and assures us of our salvation in him. This includes the promise of a resurrected body for each of us, for every believer, in the days of glory to come. It also... Further, it tells us something about the incarnation of Christ, that, that the enfleshment of the Son, as the, taking the second person of the Trinity taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, as the Catechism says, that, as one scholar wrote, uh, the incarnation is not something casual and fleeting. It's not just a, a, just a theological oddity, you know, a piccadillo of the Christians. It is, it is a divine action, with permanent consequences. I thought J.C. Ryle summed up both of these concepts here of, of Christ's ascension and blessing his church uh, in, this, in this quote. Uh, and he really, he really kind of sums it up in the, in the gracious nature of Jesus, especially towards his disciples. And he says this, quote, Gracious was our Lord Jesus while he lived among his weak disciples. Gracious in the very season of his agony on the cross. Gracious when he rose again and gathered his scattered sheep around him. Gracious in the manner of his departure from this world. It was a departure in the very act of blessing. Gracious, we may be assured he is today at the right hand of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever a Savior ever ready to bless, abounding in blessings. We see here that Jesus blesses and ascends for His church, but above all, He is gracious towards His disciples, towards His church, that we may have every confidence that He will continue to be gracious to us. This is what Jesus does. And now let us consider what Jesus' disciples do in verses 52 through 53. Three things here. First, we note that that Jesus' disciples affirm his deity. We should take note when Jews bow down to worship a person because Jews are on historical record as being willing to die before worshiping anyone other than God. That was one of the reasons that they had that carve-out uh, um, in Roman law because the Romans realized they're going to make us kill, the, kill all of them because they refuse to, you know, to worship gods in addition to their god. And they're actually going to make us kill all of them. So we're going to make a special provision for the Jews that they don't have to worship. As long as they pay their taxes, they don't have to worship the Roman gods. They can just worship their God. And so when Jesus' disciples, who are Jews by birth, worship Him, it says something about Him and what they think about Jesus because they are not going to bow the knee to anyone other than God. The Trinity is a doctrine of great mystery to us. How there can be one God and three persons, all equal in power and glory, is the subject of many of, uh, of family and family worship with young children. Right? But yet it's still a mystery even as we live in the faith. How, do they make, how, do they, how are they yet distinct in person? Yet for the mystery we nevertheless confess the truth of it and delight in it. For the Trinitarian nature of our God is the very foundation of reality and certainly of salvation. And so we affirm the deity of Christ, that he is not merely a wonderful man. He is not merely the best man or the best of God's creatures. Jesus is God in his very being. And he is worthy of our worship as God. We are right to worship Him as the fulfillment of the psalms that sing about Him. We are right to worship Him by, by singing our hymns old and new. For Jesus is the God-man, the one who took on flesh, that we might be delivered from sin and death and the devil. This is, uh, this is yet one more aspect that makes Christianity stand out from every other religion. One author I read made the point that you know, you'll notice that there is no such thing as Muhammadology in Islam. There is no such thing as Joseph Smithology in Mormonism or in the LDS faith. There's not even an Abrahamology, but there is a Christology because we study the person and work of Christ, who is, by His very nature, divine, but also the one who took on flesh. It is the study of God the Son. And so we affirm Jesus' deity along with all the disciples who have done so from the very earliest days of the church. Secondly, we see Jesus' disciples obey His command with joy. The disciples honored their master by doing what he told them to do. They returned to Jerusalem and they waited patiently for the promised helper to come. But they didn't stop there in obedience to the command of Christ. What Christ commanded, they sought to do. And we, like those disciples, are called to obey the commands of Christ. Indeed, that is uh, the part of the great commission that Matthew records for us. He says to disciple, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So we are called to obey the commands of Christ but we do not obey uh, Jesus because we, we want to merit favor from him. We want to increase his good opinion of us. We want to repair some damage we did from, from sin this week. We, he knows us too well for that to work, right? He knows us better than we know ourselves. He's like, the thing that i think is going to make up for that sin that week god's going jesus is going <laughs> that to make up for it buddy like you really don't understand how awful your sin is but that's okay because i do and the cross is more than enough rather we obey with joy because it is the obedience that proceeds from faith in our savior because it is who we are and who we are called to be as children of God. And so we demonstrate our faith through the fruit of obedience to Christ's commands. And sometimes we're going to produce some stinkers, right? Sometimes we're going to produce some rotten fruit. It's going to happen. But thankfully, the Lord comes along with pruning shears, through the Spirit and the Word, to correct us, help us, and restore us, and to in- enable us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So let us then seek with every intention, in- in- with intention, the catechism that we, that we use as part of our conventional documents, the, the, the vows we take for membership call for Christians to endeavor, to strive, to live as Christians, to live for the sake of Christ, to obey the commands of Christ, but only by the grace and help of the Holy Spirit. Only by the work and ministry of Christ through the Spirit and the mercy of God do we obey. But we do endeavor and seek to obey. We call that the work of sanctification. Finally, finally, we see Jesus, Jesus' disciples worship continually with joy. Every commentary, every commentary I picked up was quick to point out that Luke's gospel ends where it began, in the temple. I kind of got tired of reading that, honestly. I was like, this is like the time. I've read this. Okay, I'm kind of bored with this point now, but it's there, it's clear. And Luke does it for a reason. He intentionally crafted it that way. Because the temple is where God meets with man to deal with his sin, to hear his prayers. But now Christ has come. He has fulfilled the need for the temple. He said that his body was the temple. He has fulfilled the sacrificial system. So the question arises quite naturally, well, why and how are the disciples in the temple? Why would they go then, if that's the case? Uh, and, um, and, so, and so part of it is to, because um, there are some who would argue that we need to have temple-like services, and you know, oh, well, look at the disciples, they were in the prayer, you know, they were participating in temple services and things like that. Well, we have no evidence that the disciples were participating in the sacrificial system in the temple, um, and even if they were, we would say they were doing so out of ignorance of the, of the significance of Christ's sacrifices, or of his sacrifice, because Hebrews makes it clear, as well as many other passages, that Christ has fulfilled the sacrificial system. We don't need to offer sacrifices anymore. And even if there were Christians participating in that, they very quickly stopped. Uh, and in, in the book of Acts, we were actually told what the Christians were doing in the temple. They were attending the prayer hours, the times of prayer. And what were they doing in those times? They were blessing God. Now, we've said that when, you know, when, when Jesus is blessing us, to bless is to call for divine favor to come upon a person. Uh, so you know, But we're not calling for divine favor to fall upon God. It's kind of, that's not going to work. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but when we bless God, when God's people bless God, that is simply praise. We are returning the adoration and praise that our God is due and uh, through prayer, through song, through the, through, through the devotion and even offering of tithes and offerings. Uh, we are. Um, and now eventually that prayerful worship would move out, out of the walls of the temple, particularly when the Jews began to persecute the Christians, and finally when the temple was destroyed by Titus in A.D. 70. But we do not need to rebuild an earthly temple. Uh, we do not see an earthly temple today. Our sanctuary and our church is not a Christian version of a temple. This is not a temple. Although sometimes people uh, will regard sanctuaries as temples, and they need to not do that. <laughs> These aren't temples. This is not a, uh, even, with, even with this table, this is not an altar of sacrifice. Okay? We're, we're not, uh, this is not where we are sacrificing Jesus uh, upon the table here. That is not what we mean by the table. We do not have a need for a temple because the church is the living temple of the living God. A living God needs a living temple, not a dead one. And the scriptures tell us that we are the temple of the living God with Christ as the chief cornerstone. We are the priesthood of God with Jesus as the high priest. And so Peter in his letter, he calls us living stones being built up into a spiritual house as we are the priesthood making sacrifices of praise and good deeds unto the Lord, which are all made acceptable only through Jesus Christ. But this passage does shed light on the primary calling of the church today, and that is worship the church lives for the praise of god and i want us to think about how this group is described by luke this group of believers is described by luke as continually blessing god now i want you to think about it and let's put a little definition to that what are they praising god for they haven't been around that long as a church they, didn't have, they, they don't have religious freedom in their country. They don't have economic prosperity. Many of the things that we take for granted that make our lives so comfortable that we would be distressed to be without, they don't have. Now, that's part of their daily life. They don't expect those things either. Many of them are poor and of low social status. Yet they're in the temple continually praising God already. So, what is it that's driving their worship? It was the God who was fulfilling the promises of blessing by bringing forth the Redeemer in his Son, Jesus Christ. That's why they're there. Let me ask you do we have less than them today? Do we have less cause to praise God continually in His temple, the gathered church of God? No. And so I invite you today as my brothers and sisters in Christ to today bless the name of our God for all those answered prayers, those common grace mercies that He's bestowed upon us, but to know for certain that we have enough fuel for the fire of our worship in the gospel alone. For even if we lost every material blessing, if we lost every physical blessing, we found ourselves as destitute as Job, we would know that despite the travails and sufferings of the body, that we have the blessed riches of salvation in Jesus stored for us in heaven. Where no thief can break in and steal. No strong man can perform a smashing grab job. Where rust and moth cannot destroy. We cannot even lose them ourselves because they are held for us on our behalf by one who cannot lose them. And so as Jesus departs from his disciples, blessing them in this text you need to see that the Lord Jesus is departing this world and blessing you and I as the church. You need to know that He sent the Holy Spirit to live in each of us, to to secure these blessings to our very souls and to guarantee them in the life to come. You need to know that his, His ascension is a blessing for His church. And knowing all of that, we need to move forward into our lives, affirming the humanity and the deity of Christ, walking in obedience to His commands, and worshiping Him in joy continually. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that in Jesus we have You and we have Your Son, that you have brought us into the, the family of God. That you have bestowed upon us your name. Not that we are equal in any respect, Lord. But that we are now called by your name. We now belong to you. And so, Father, we pray that as we worship you, as we worship your son as we worship your spirit that we would take stock of what we have in the gospel and lord though we may be, may be wrestling even today with many sorrows and struggles and difficulties lord would that we would we would count our blessings beginning with the gospel and we would find and we and may we find lord that we will never run out of praise on that singular point And then add to that, Father, the many blessings that you have poured out upon us, your mercies that are new daily. And even, Lord, we yet long rightly, our bodies groan inwardly for the renewal of the cosmos, the renewal of ourselves, where we will be in glory with resurrection life, resurrection bodies, restored, healed experiencing the fullness of eternal life in the kingdom of God. Lord, we long for those days. We look forward to them, Lord, and may you be glorified, Father, in your church. Father, we pray that we would indeed, in view of your mercies to us in Jesus, the blessing and assurance that he gives us in his blessing and ascension. Father, we pray that we would move forward into this world, into the day ahead tomorrow, into the world as we go out from here. That we would walk in obedience to Christ's commands and worship always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand now.